Hey everyone, welcome back to Leadership Locker's Rich Cardona. Yes, and you're in the right place. If you're a new entrepreneur, aspiring entrepreneur, if you're a seasoned entrepreneur, if you're a veteran who's thinking about starting a business or has a business, you're in the right place. Mondays and Fridays, you're gonna hear me talking about some of the things I've learned that I wanna make sure you hear. I'm documenting the journey. On Wednesdays, I'm gonna have an industry expert or an influencer, okay, who's gonna share very specific knowledge with you. Now today, you are gonna hear from someone I met in the Arate Syndicate, which is, uh, it's a group, it's a community by Ed Milet and Andy Frisella. And it's not easy to get into. And everyone in the group is essentially, it makes you feel like you're eight steps behind, 10 steps behind, and that's exactly what you need if you wanna level up, right? You can't be surrounded by people who are doing less than you. You need to be surrounded by people who are further ahead than you which is exactly why this podcast exists. Now, I discovered her because she wants to start appearing as a guest on podcasts. And usually I'm like, dude, I pick who I want. But with Jamie, the response when she put that in the Facebook thing was overwhelmingly like, I'll have you on, I'll have you on, I'll have you on. I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? So I asked a couple people and they told me her story and then I looked her up and there's so much that I found out online, but it wasn't until we were in person uh, in one of her offices in Torrance that I learned so much more. Now, here's what I could tell you from the interview, whether you could detect it by listening in a little while or by the promos that I put on Instagram and TikTok or whatever, is that she's locked the fuck on. I mean, she is locked on and locked in. Whether it is personally, whether it's as a mom, or whether it's in business, or whether it's in mentoring, but not in an intimidating way. Like, she's extremely personable. I detect just a ton of humility and the sincere desire to help people, especially women. Now, we are in this conversation and we are just talking, talking, talking. And if you listen close, you can't really see it, of course, but it's like she left the podcast during the interview a bunch of times because she just went to another place and she took me with her. And by that, I mean the vividness in which she details her motivators, her drivers, her pain points, her successes, is is something she's really in tune with. And you just don't see that a lot from people. People really gloss over things in podcast interviews and she did not. And I'm super, super grateful for that. But look, she's been in the financial services industry for 20 plus years. She started out at the gym. She came out of a very, very small town in a state that you've probably not been to. And you're gonna hear all about it. But here's what you need to know. She's a beast. When I walked out of that office, I was like, what am I doing? And that's what happens when you interview someone who's uh, been mentored and, and very close with Ed Milet for 20 years. She's relentless and she reminded me that sometimes when you think you're running a business, you're just playing business. Let's get into it. Jamie, we just introduced you, so thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you have a lot of things going on right now, and I can't wait to dig into all of them, but I love to begin at the beginning. And when I heard you interviewing someone else, it came up that both of you came up in poverty, essentially. And I kind of really want to know about that, because that's going to set the tone for where we go on this. But can you tell me about your upbringing? Yeah, well, I grew up in uh, northeastern corner of Montana. It's a a little town called Medicine Lake, Montana, but it's um, 
small, small town, small thinking, uh, 225 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> it's a very uh, farming community, and there's just not, not a lot of um, hope, big mm-hmm. thinking, you know what I mean? And so I grew up in a very poor yeah. household. Uh, I was the oldest of six kids, and uh, we grew up in a little trailer on the kind of the edge of town. And we grew up, you know, on welfare and WIC and, you know, government help and those things. And I grew up knowing I was poor. I hated it. I hated like doing the back to school shopping at the thrift store or going to the the line at the school lunches and everybody had tickets and I had this punch thing that I had to turn in. And so I, you know, I, I, I would hear my parents down the hall at night, kind of at the kitchen table, arguing about which bill can we pay? This month, I knew growing up I didn't want to be poor. I didn't. I didn't like it. Uh, again, I'm the oldest of six, and there's a big age gap between me and the 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 ones in the middle. And then there's another big age gap between the middle ones and the twins that were the the, the last to be born. And so I always kind of had this responsibility, you know, to feeling like I had to do something else, do something yeah. more, set an example, and and help them. Well, and you were the first one comprehending everything that was happening. So yeah. did you feel like you had to kind of explain that to your siblings? Like, I didn't want to. I remember one winter, happened a couple of times actually, but I remember waking up in northeastern Montana. It is cold in the winter. So you get the Alaskan winds that kind of cut right through there. It's like 30 below with the wind chill factor. And I remember waking up and I could see my breath and thinking, oh, we can't even afford propane to heat our house. And I got gathered my sisters out of their rooms and I brought them into the, the bathroom and I plugged in one of those little electric space heaters and it was doing their hair and singing songs with them. And I, and I remember thinking, I, I, I don't want them to know like that this is, this is happening yes. right now. So yeah, I mean, we... We were always, you know, as positive as we could, but, you know, my dad would say, well, this is, this is kind of how it is, and life's a, you know what, and then you die. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. the most motivating that way. Yeah. And I always, you know, would hear them complain about their boss or their job or the whatever situation, or we didn't have food that winter, maybe. And he had a, a friend had given, him, given us a, a pig one winter as a, you know, just to help us out. And I remember thinking, like, why don't we move? Why don't you go where you can get a better job? You know, I just didn't understand yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. So I just uh, I didn't want that for my you know my children, my family. I didn't want to have them hear us fight about money. Um, both my husband and I, our parents divorced, mostly because of arguments and yeah, yeah. financial situations. Mm-hmm. And- well, if you can recall, at what point did you say, "I'm not sure what the expectations they have of me are, but I know what I want." And, and I'm going to actually start working my way towards that. So I would come out to California here and there when I was younger um, and uh, vacation, yeah. you know, because my parents had divorced. Yeah. And then I was back in Montana with my dad and my stepmom. But I'd come out here and um, it wasn't much different out here, but, mm-hmm. but it still, there was more opportunity. Yeah. So I thought, gosh, you know, I'm going to have to pay my way through school. I'm going to have to work hard, you know. And um, so as soon as I graduated high school, I came out to California with the idea of I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to pay my way through school and, um, you know, be able to hopefully at least send money back home. What did you want to do, by the way? At at that point, I don't know. I mean, growing up, growing up, I thought, well, a high school English teacher would be fun. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I just, I don't ever recall having a conversation with an adult or a teacher or a counselor saying, 
you know, think about college, Jamie, or what do you want to be, Jamie? I just don't ever recall ever having those conversations. So my idea was I was going to work. I was going to, I was going to work hard. I was going to, again, just go to school, find out, find something I I enjoyed, passionate, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But really also by that point when, when I was moving out here and those twins were born, my stepmom had become really ill. And she was on um, heavy narcotics and, you know, couldn't get out of bed. And so I, I really wanted to be able to get into a position to help them, to support them, to send money back home, to uh, get my sisters out of a, a negative situation, too. So that be kind of became a driver. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I don't feel or detect that you were angered as by any of these situations as much as you felt inclined to do something about them. Yeah. And that seems to like have transcended into your professional career, which your first, your first job was what? Well, when I first got here to California, I went to everywhere I could walk, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just to get a job, you know, uh, saving money. And uh, so my first job was Blockbuster Video. Oh, nice. And, and uh, similar to like a 99-cent store next door to it. Yeah, yeah. And I was, whatever shift they would give me, I was just working wow. all the time to be able to save to buy a car mm-hmm. so that I could get a better job, a yes, decent job. Yes. <laughs> and um, as soon as I had a car, I bought this horrible 89 Dodge Daytona used car. It had like... I think they were like bullet holes on the side of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> it got me to, from point A to point B. So then um, I, I got a job at a gym. Yep, and Bally's, so, right? Yeah, well, there was another gym before that. And then I got a job at Bally's. And um, quickly I got promoted to management. I, you know, I, based on work ethic, I guess, I, within, I think, about my second month, I was promoted to assistant manager. Wow. And then manager, then got my own club very quickly. So with that, it went from... Working, you know, minimal hours to typically 11 hours a day was my schedule. Mm-hmm. So less and less time I could spend in school. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't that school was hard. It's just I just didn't have the time. I was working sometimes six, sometimes seven days a week. Did you finish school? No. Oh, wow. No, I, I, I Tell me about the decision then. Uh, I mean, were you about to disappoint anyone when you decided that for yourself? Like, I'm not going to go to school any longer? <laughs> no. There was no one, like... You know what I mean? There was no conversations about that. Yeah. That was just um, something I thought I should do, you know? But again, it went from minimum wage to at least 40000 salary. I was um, 20 years old. And, yeah. um, and again, I felt like I needed to do that. I needed to be able to pay my bills and to help family and those things. So I, I again, kept getting promoted. Um, and But again, my hours didn't. They were still those long hours. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked for, there for about four and a half years. What did you learn about yourself in that four years? Well, I, I learned to, I was working as like a self-employed person. Yeah. The effort, the energy I was putting into it, I was on commission. So I was working like a self-employed person, but being treated like an employee. So I learned I didn't, I didn't want to be an employee. I, I wanted control of my time. Um, you know, I also had I developed great work ethic there, but um, I learned how to deal with people. Yeah. At the gym, it, it's a very unusual environment you know you, you people go in there and they like lose their minds <laughs> so I, I would have to break up fights people body slamming each other in the, in the <laughs> weight room um in other times um i remember little old men would try to pick fights with you know big guys over a treadmill like come on let's go, let's go. i'm like you really want to do this and so it, i i had to even though it's young i had to manage people way older than me 
So I had to learn, you know, how to lead, not just manage. And I had to just learn like those people skills. Yeah. And so I was grateful for that. But um, yeah, I said after a while I had hit an income ceiling. I, I couldn't make any more money. Yeah. In this first stint for that four years, the other question I want to ask, and I, I ask this because I've heard you talk about it in some of the, the interviews you've done. Were you noticing at that point any indications of a gender bias or in inequality in pay or anything like that? Not to just kind of like start something, but just I want to know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think in, there is that in corporate America yeah. in general. For me, I just thought it's like, you know, what? I'm going to outwork everyone here mm-hmm. and I'm going to earn it. And typically I did. It just it was a very unusual environment. It's, you know, I thought at first, well. You know, the gym, this is a great environment. People trying to improve themselves, people trying to, you know, trying to get in shape. And it, it wasn't that environment at all. It was a very high-pressure sales environment. And so what I noticed was, um, yeah, we worked hard, but it was also high-pressure, high-stress, mm-hmm. high-quotas. Mm-hmm. And so even though I was number one, my, re- my reward for that would be to, you know, raise my quota, to hit, you know, higher, they called it budget. Um, but I started noticing co-managers that... Um, They'd been there, you know, for years longer than I had, and they were just so stressed out. They didn't get to see their kids. One of the gals, she was 29, she had to wear a heart monitor. Her doctor had her wearing a heart monitor because she would have constant anxiety attacks. That's so ironic, working Uh, at a gym especially. Yeah. Um, Another guy, he was, when he started, he was in shape. He was a football player, and by the time he left, his doctor said, you can't work here. He was like 200 pounds overweight. And it, it was just a really kind of stressful environment. And again, you know, I was young. It wasn't a very hard job. It was just a stressful job. And um, and again, I was making more money than all of my friends that were 20, yeah. 21. I was about making about 70,000 when I was there, leaving there. And um, and I thought, well, you know, this is, this is not that bad. But then again, after four and a half years, I realized, you know, these co-managers of mine who had been there 14 years, 10 years longer than me, still didn't get to see their kids, still had those crappy hours, still had no control of their time, and they're stuck there. And I felt like, you know, every every day when I would go into that gym, that I was wasting my life. I felt like I'm wasting my time. I could, if I could put my heart into something that was mine, I put my passion and my energy into something that was mine, I could be successful. But what? You know, I'm 22 at that point, and I hadn't finished college. Who was going to give me a shot? Ideally, I would love to have my own business, but what? Yeah. Well, you've talked about your why and and having, you know, passion for what you're doing. When you knew then at 22, even if it's 22, it's still like important that we look into it. How did you start to look around to determine like, what what do I want to do? Like, what does drive me or who do I want to serve? What what kind of thoughts did you have? So I remember, um, I remember being at the gym. And going upstairs to go to, there was a Western bagel upstairs, and I wanted to go get a bagel. <laughs> and I remember them calling, Jamie, come down here, come down there. There's this going on, that going on. And I'm like, I can't go upstairs to get a bagel. You know, sometimes I'd have to go to the bathroom, and they're like, where are you at? Where are you at? <laughs> and I'm like, really? I just thought I have zero control of my life. You know what I mean? And no matter how hard I work, there's no other reward. This is it. You know, and so at that point, it was around the time they started asking me to kind of fix bad problem areas. You know, like, hey, there's a grand opening of this gym. Can you go there? Um, this gym is on the tank. Can you go there? So I grand opened a club in L.A., West L.A. And when I got there, you know, it was it was a, it was a dirt. It was dirt. It was a huge hole and a wood plank that I'm walking across trying to sell gym memberships. And I'm like, selling this, this is gonna be beautiful. There's gonna be rows of TVs and the, you know, the treadmills are gonna be here. And then, 
and I'm having to sell this club, right? And I'm having barbecues in the parking lot just to kind of get people to show up. And I worked every single day for two months. I was number one in the company and pre-sold that gym. And what happened was when I got my paycheck, I just got kicked into a higher tax bracket. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I thought, this is stupid. This is a total rat race. There's no light at the end of this tunnel. This is not what I want. What do I want? So I just started realizing I was very dissatisfied and that there, there has to be something better. And so, um, you know, I started asking people like, hey, you know, do you know anybody in this? Yeah. And do anybody in that? Um, my schedule was so hectic that it was even hard just to even try to put out a resume. That's kind of how you did yeah. it back then. There wasn't monster.com or those things. So I had a friend, he was a commercial real estate broker. He said, get your real estate license. I know a lot of people in residential, you do amazing. I'm like, well, all right, well, that sounds better than this. I can at least have my own schedule, right? So I went and got my real estate license and um, started doing real estate. And I literally would go to a real estate company from like 8 to 11 and then 11 to 11 to the gym and trying to learn. But honestly, there was no system. There was no support. My broker, my entire training. On the real estate side, yeah. On the real estate side, there was no training. There was no support. So he said my entire training was, there's a stack of closed loans over there. You can learn how to put the, the paperwork together. There's the computers over there. You can learn how to read rate sheets. And you can listen to the guys make phone calls. Oh, by the way, um, write a letter to all your friends and family and, and let them know that you're in the business. So in case they know anybody refinancing or something. So I did that. And I, you know, I was like telling people, do you know anybody? You know, I won't charge them that much. You know? And um, so I was learning. Um, realized real fast that even though that's self-employed, still a rat race. You're still looking for, you know, filling your pipeline all the time. Still have no freedom. It's not what I wanted. And so I started doing mortgage and uh, that was a a little bit more control of my pay. You know, with the real estate sales, I felt like there were so many things outside of my control. You know, appraisal could come in wrong or whatever. So I was learning the mortgage and, um, and then I actually met a lady at the gym who had just had her second child and she had never worked out before. She was super intimidated. Here I am, like trying to meet my quota and yeah. sell her membership. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, you're you're so, you know, good with people. You should meet my husband. You know, he's looking for people. And so I was introduced to the business that I'm in now and fortunate to have a lot of great mentors there. But for me, I think it was always, I was always driven by, and it's so funny because years ago, I remember we were already, I was already a seven-figure earner. And I told my husband, I'm like, when we're rich, we should do this. Mm-hmm. He's like, Jamie, you're rich. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, no. And so I think in the beginning, and I don't, it's probably not good, but I did that fear of being poor yeah. again. Yes. That fear of, you know, not knowing if, you know, what's next. And so I wanted to get to a situation where I had savings. Yeah. I had a lot of savings. I had no matter, you know, no matter what the economy did, I didn't want to be at the mercy of a boss. I didn't want to be at the mercy of the economy ever again. Things like COVID and you know, I didn't want any of those things to ever have to phase me that the decisions that I make are best for my family, no matter what's going on around me. You're the third successful entrepreneur I've interviewed today, and autonomy has been said literally every interview today. And autonomy seems like something we all want so desperately. However, in entrepreneurship and high pressure, it seems obviously you're more than cut out for it, but there's a different threshold for others where it it, it becomes too much or the rejection becomes too much or whatever. And all of a sudden autonomy and all these things seem out of reach. What would you say to these people who are thinking like, you know what, I'm just going to go back and just get a bullshit job and, and whatever. Yeah. 
I think it's hard. I mean, it's when you're starting as an entrepreneur, it's everything's outside of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? Like to me, it was a completely different industry that I started in. Yes. I didn't know anything. My, my industry is finance. I didn't know anything about finance. Mm-hmm. When she, when this gal asked me like, hey, you should meet my husband. He's looking for good people. I said, you know, inside I'm like, I'd been discovered or something. I'm like, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what is it? What does he do? And um, Law of attraction. You, yeah. put, you put the vibes out there. <laughs> and uh, she, she goes, well, you know, it's securities. It's very lucrative. And she, when she said securities, I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> so I thought, securities, home alarm sales? Yeah. <laughs> um, security guard? No, that doesn't make sense. So, but I was so hungry for change. Yes. That I said, sure, when can I meet your husband? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I came in and I found out it was finance. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and it was at the end of 99. And if, if you remember, everyone was day trading. There was the dot-com bubble that was about to burst. And so it just seemed like everyone knew all about this stuff. Yeah. And I knew absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I was 22. And I was a female. You know, and so I was, it was a very male-dominated industry. You know, and so I walked into an office where the men, it was all men and it was much older. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them had come from the industry. And, and, um, and so, again, it, to me, though, I thought, well, you know, this sound, seems like a, a great environment. It seemed like there was system and mentors, finally, like yes. I've been looking for someone to help me and hold my hand through it. But also that it was a very high pay industry. Right. So I thought, well, I'll give it a shot you know, long-term, it's going to be better than this, you know? And so I kind of always looked at the alternative. I remember, you know, starting out and it was a, it was a Saturday morning and I'm kind of like training my guys. And I just felt like I'm talking to the wall, like no one's listening. And that, and it was just, we were stagnant and I was so frustrated. And I, I left, I left my guys there doing their thing. And I left and I went to that bagel shop above Bally's. And I got myself a bagel and I ate that bagel on the steps <laughs> right there, looking at ballets, watching all these people walk in and out. And then I walked in because no one really cares. And I just walked in and I walked around the gym, which I had to do all you know, like every single day. And I just walked through that gym and I could smell the smells and I could hear the you know, weights being re-racked and I could hear you know, the, 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 the clanging and the... The treadmills and the TVs and just the aerobics room. You know, I literally am watching you go there right and now in your head. I, <laughs> it's so I, vivid. And I just brought myself back to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it is what I'm doing is so worth it. Yeah. I don't want this. I don't want this life. I don't want this job. So I always thought of the alternative. You know what I mean? Yes. So there's a job for the rest of my life that I'm making someone else wealthy, that I'm at the slave of, you know, the boss's whim or the economy changing, the industry shifting. I just didn't want that anymore. I wanted freedom. And so, yeah, success demands you pay a price. That price is you're going to be uncomfortable most of the time <laughs> for a while. And, and you're going to have to do things that you just maybe just not used to. And you're going to have to work really, really hard, you know. And, and More so, than you think, almost. More right. than you think, you know, honestly. But I remember telling myself, like, hey, you know, like there was a period um, where we were going through for a big just a promotion or just kind of a, a certain goal. And it was, it was a big one and it was almost, almost impossible. I felt like so excited and like an elephant was sitting on my chest at the same time, like, oh my gosh. And we were working so hard and, and I, was, I was literally in the office by 8 a.m., didn't leave till after midnight, most nights for like 90 days, right? But honestly, that time in my careers, I look back and it was probably the most fun time, you know what I mean? But it was the best time because that's when you find out what you're made of. That's when you find out like, 
man, what are you really, really willing to do to make your dreams happen? So I, I grew. I grew so much. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't become the leader to others that I am today. Yes. So, um, but it was fun during that time. We'd be in the office late and, you know, just eating whatever <laughs> and, <laughs> and having these great conversations and, you know, and just challenging ourselves. So, um, so I don't know. I don't regret any of it. I, again, yeah. I think success demands you pay a price. I would rather pay that price upfront and in full versus the price of regret and being an employee forever, you know, dealing with that type of crap for the rest of my life. All right, everyone, real quick, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Rocket Station, who helped me get my first virtual assistant, who is actually my ops lead, and she just runs circles around so many people I know uh, in terms of how much she accomplishes on any given day. But look, I'm going to tell you some of the things that my team does, okay, who are comprised of contractor, virtual assistants, if you want to call them that, I call them different things. Onboarding documents, document audits, process audits, document trackers, the podcast tracker, setting up Clockify, setting up our project management system, onboarding, creating lead magnets, daily, weekly, monthly responsibilities, coordinating a flight for me, doing a little bit of prospecting via email for me, responding to comments for me on social media that are one-liners, more reaching out to clients, emailing clients, sending proposals. These are all the things virtual assistants do. This is what my team does. I don't do any of that stuff. I have input on it, but I usually stay out because I don't have time for that. And it doesn't mean I'm too good for it. It just means I know where I need to focus my time. And that is why I did it. And it had it not been for Rocket Station, I'd be up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Rocket Station is gonna help you level up by getting and adding people to your team, okay? They're based out of Dallas. They're international virtual assistants. They're unbelievably affordable. They come with oversight and a team that is gonna help you, okay? It is not just you and the virtual assistant, which is what's gonna happen if you just go look anywhere else for a freelancer. There is support. There are reminders. There is streamlined manners in which you deal with each other, in which you pay you know, the monthly rate and all these things. If you want 25% off your process mapping, which is at documenting all the processes that you wanna hand off, then you gotta listen to the end of the episode and I will get you who to email, how to get in touch with them to set up a talk. But if you're listening to this, think of five things that you've done, did yesterday or today already, that you know you don't need to be doing and imagine what you would do if someone else was taking that over for you. Let's get back to the show. So you were at 70K and then you eventually got to seven figures and you're thrilled about it, your husband's thrilled about it. Can you talk to me about when you are now in a position to influence others? You are leading men and women, but particularly women, showing them, and, and this is important to me because I'm a girl dad, and like I want them to know it doesn't, whatever it is. Like is. I'm not gonna be that dad that's like, whatever you wanna do, you can do, Like I mean it. And, and there's yeah. people like you I wanna have these conversations with, but tell me about the influence you started to see you, yourself having. Yeah, definitely. I, I... I feel like that's what leadership is. It's just it's just influence. It's being able to influence a cause or uh, people yeah. or, for good. Yeah. Right? Um, but I remember that was kind of my why coming up when I when I started as an entrepreneur. 
you know, quit my job, $70,000 a year. And in our industry, you have to get licensed. Back then it took like nine months before oh, yeah, you could- Oh yeah, not instant. <laughs> it was an instant. And so you, you had to wait nine months before you could make any money. I cut down all my expenses, moved out of the, the townhouse that I was in and, and just went like super lean and mean. I wanted to be able to focus on my business and I'm ready to go. And I, you know, in the office early, like, what do I do? <laughs> right? At first I felt like, wow, this is amazing. I, I can go get myself a bagel if I want to without being, you know, nagged and, and those things. So I felt that freedom, but then I also felt the pressure of like, okay, I have to get this going. And, um, you know, eventually I started making money and that was great. Um, started making money, more money than I was making at my, my job. Again, great. But then you, you want influence. You want to be sure. able to really be able to help my family back home. And, and one of my biggest whys was kind of what you mentioned. Um, I wanted to be an example to my younger sisters. I remember one time being in my first office and things were going all right. And I was making about a hundred grand a year, you know, again, control my time. Things are good. And, um, I actually had my feet up. <laughs> that never happens. I had, had my feet up and we were kind of talking and some of the guys in the office and my sister called and she's about nine years old at that time. And she called and we're having a chat and all of a sudden she says, I, well, I, I heard it in the background. I heard, um, mommy's dead, mommy's dead. And my sister said, hold on a second. And I heard all this chaos and I heard my sister kind of doing some rumbling things around. Finally, she gets back to the phone I'm like, well, what's going on? Why were the twins screaming? Well, my nine-year-old sister was the mom of the household at that time. My stepmom was too ill to take care of him. She was too ill to get out of bed. But I guess she had tried to get out of bed and she had passed out on the floor. And she said she had to like smack her, pour water on her, drag her back to bed. And um, my nine-year-old sister was taking these twins to, to daycare. She was going to the grocery every single day. She had to go to the grocery store to get groceries because she can't carry two twins and gro uh, you know full groceries. So she had to go every day. She had to make dinner for the rest of the kids. And so we were talking and I said, why didn't you call 911? She said, oh no, they said not to because they don't want us to be taken. And it was so like, it hit me so hard. I got off the phone and I walked to the office, to the bathroom down the hall in the office. And I looked at myself in the mirror, I was, I was crying, and I just said, you're wasting your time. You're wasting time right now. Get it together. Like, they are counting on you. Like, you're the one. There's no one else. There's no one else that's going to... Come in and save There's them. no one. There's no one else. Yeah. It's all up to you. And I was so, like, mad at myself at that point. Like, you're just... There, there's so much more you could be doing. And at that point, like, I, I worked. Like, I, I kind of had a vision of what I wanted for my life, for my kids, my, for my family, for my sisters, um, and for my, my business. And I just started working on all these, all the things that my your mentors teach you, you know, all the things about having um, clarity of your goals, having them written, ha reading them every day, reading them out loud, in, you know, Yeah, you mentioned uh, the business plan. You said before, when you wake up, when you go to bed, uh, I, I heard you talking about that. And I, I severely underestimate the power of a business plan. And I was listening to you and reminded yeah. that you have to just be completely in yep. touch with everything you want to have. Yes, and oh. being able to see it and touch it. And so I just got really clear on what the like end zone is. <laughs> I mean, what yeah. I really wanted um, and so every day was with that in mind. I, I worked every day. Like people said, well, Jamie, how many phone calls do you make in a day? As many as I can. How many appointments do you do? As many as I can. I was just trying to move that vision closer to today. And so I, I would have my business plan and my, you know, whys and all stuff. But I remember during that time, 
I had on my computer, because I'd sit at my desk and that was kind of like the first thing I would see, taped, if you hit this goal, you're getting your sister. I'll have the time, the money, the resources, the influence to be able to go and get her out of that, that situation. And so that was just having my goals attached to something that was like, like super emotional. So my business plan became like an emotional game plan. When things were tough, you know, it was my emotions that were so strong pulled rank over my fears or over my doubts or over my just not wanting to do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and that just drove me. This is unbelievable. Uh, I did not know all this prior to coming, but the funny thing is, you know, when you're on an airplane and they give you the brief, like put the mask on yourself first, like if you hadn't done that, then you wouldn't have put yourself in a position to be able to help to begin with. Like you took, you took control, you left, you, you started school, decided it wasn't for me, you were working, you're like, not for me, this is what I'm going to do. So then you have your own family, you have, you're a mother of four. Yeah. I want to, we're going to switch a little bit because, sure. um, you know, I, I saw a couple posts about that as well, about the kind of guilt. Uh, now here you are, you know, providing, but I see how unbelievably in touch you are with your family. For someone who's as successful as you, um, it seems like there is a balance. And everyone's balance is unique to them. What would you say to some of the women out there who are maybe in this position or maybe approaching a trajectory or at that trajectory being like, here's how I do it? Right. So yeah, being a mom, mompreneur, (laughs) (laughs) um, it can get, it can get tough. I think, um, you know, I have four. I have my youngest is now six. My oldest is 16. And then I have an 11 and a 13 year old. And um, so I've kind of been in all those stages. Like I have two teenagers now, but I remember when um, I was single starting my business, I could be in there at eight. I could be, you know, be there till 2 a.m. And, you know, sometimes we're so focused on my goal that I forget to eat. (laughs) When you have kids, you can't forget to feed them. Right? Wow. <laughs> it gets different. Like you have to, you have to, like the family has to be first. Yeah. And so I've seen so many entrepreneurs fail in that area. You know, they're successful in business and they have, you know, all the money, but then they're divorced or their kids don't like them. You know, I've, I've seen it over and over and over again. So what I did was I went and just like I do in every area of my life, I went and found mentors. I found role models. I found associations of people that 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 prove to me that you can win big time you can chase your biggest dreams you can you know have all of these things that you really want in 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 leadership and you know in success and this dream life and travel the world and have your family and your faith come first so i knew that it can be done if they can do it that means so can i of course right just like just like anything else um so i studied the ones that i thought were great at that and and then, you know, again, I had this ideal life of I mean, my business plan. I was going to hit this, you know, certain level, then get pregnant the next month. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. And I did. Yeah. And I did. Um, but when I had my baby, my first baby, my daughter, it, it was like I didn't miss a beat. I just, I just brought her to the office with me, and I, I had her in a little swing next to me. I would, I would do appointments. I, I would be, you know, breastfeeding, and I'd pass off the baby. to like, She had lots of aunts in the office. Um, but then when she became about 18 months old, that was the first time like in my business uh, that I felt distracted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, and I know, I just know, like if you're mentally, you're distracted, that's destruction, you know, in, in business. So I, I had to figure it out. I had to figure it out quick. Um, and so I, again, 
just kind of went to mentors and different people. And I said, okay, you know, when you went through this, when you started having kids, how did you make that transition? And they were very supportive. Hey, you can, you're making enough money residually, Jamie, you can quit if you want to. And, and, you know, they were just, they're kind of this extreme of like, you know, you can do this, or if that's not what you want to do, you know, you can, you can just make some tweaks here. And so I, I, that made sense to me. I had to tweak my schedule. I had to tweak my, that's like how I was doing things because I think a lot of, especially moms, but I coach so many people and the guys feel the same way. Mm-hmm. They're feeling out of balance. They're feeling torn too. And so um, the feeling is when I'm at work, like, am I spending enough time at home? Am I spending enough time with my kid? Am I doing this right? Am I going to screw him up? Or if I'm at home, am I, am I neglecting my business? Am I still on, on it? Am I still uh, competitive? Am I still, you know, irrelevant? You know, so all these thoughts come into this, you know, distraction in your mindset. And so what I did was I kind of sat down and said, okay, how can I make my schedule different? How can I delegate more? How can I get, how can I get more, um, develop leaders in place to pass some of these things off to? How can I maybe even get some staff now that I'm making money, you know, to, yeah. to, to handle some of these things? And, you know, some, sometimes people can be control freaks and they're like, oh, I got to do it myself. But it's not necessarily true. And so I got much better at delegating and, you know, developing strong leaders that I can trust in all my offices and to run the show with or without me. So, yeah, uh, yeah, like you went to the office with your daughter. You're still going after it. For many. You know why I did that, though, mostly is because I do coach a lot of women. Mm. And I didn't if I if I said, oh, I'm going to stay home and, you know, take my maternity leave and just do nothing then it gives them an excuse too. So I wanted to show them that they can do it. And honestly, if you build the right environment in your business, I, I, I like my kids being around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're around leaders. They're around positive people. They're around people that are challenging them to become better versions of themselves. They're hearing good stuff constantly. So I don't mind that my kids are there. And I like the environment to be a family environment. Even if you felt the tugs of the family, it seems like you were so vested in all the effort you put to just get to where you were, that it wasn't even a possibility for you to walk away. No, I love what I do. I love what I do. Um, I, I think all the time, like, what, what, what I want to just stay at home and be a Pinterest mom or something. It, just, <laughs> it doesn't sound appealing to me. Yeah. And, and again, it's great if, if you want to do that. I think that, that stay-at-home moms are the hardest working people. They deserve the most recognition of anybody. But I love what I do, and I, I I love mentoring, you know, in our business and and the leadership role that I have, and they're like my family too. But I just I just adjusted things. So, you know, with with my daughter coming in, uh, and then the second one, <laughs> the second one wasn't a hard adjustment either. The third was a hard adjustment. Three is the hardest, and I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm outnumbered. And again, had to go back to tweaking things. How can I, you know? Just Do you write everything down? When you explain it, it just seems like you work out problems on paper really I, I, well. Yeah, I, what I'll do is if I feel like I'm plateauing or I feel like I'm in a rut or, you know, distracted, um, I'll work on my vision. So many people try to work on the problem. They, they focus on where they're at. Mm. When you're focusing on where you're at, it's just this big problem in your face. Yeah. But if you can focus on where you want to go, you get excited about it again. You're like, man, I, I love this. I love the life I want to create. You fall in love with that. Yes. And so then you gravitate towards it because that's what you're focused on. And so it kind of becomes like, oh, that's a small thing to a giant. Like this is not a big deal. But when you're focused on the problem, it's a big thing. That you're, and, it, and when you're focused on where you're at, the law of attraction says you stay right where you're at. 
So I guess it's putting on paper of more of, I just, I just did it recently, of created a business plan that's 100 years deep after I'm passed away uh, for my posterity. You yeah. know, things that we want to do contribution-wise and yeah. charity-wise. So, uh, and I'm excited about it. You of know course. what I mean? So why would I want to stop? <laughs> you know, and, but here's the thing. When there's that tweak or that shift of, okay, now I have one kid to three kids to whatever, it, or going from employee to entrepreneur, all that is, is is personal growth. It's increasing your capacity, right? So I had this gal who's an employee, and she really wanted to do the business. And um, she was all excited about it. She's like, oh, I love this, you know, helping people. And, you know, I love everything about it. But then when it comes to getting the work done, she's like, Jamie, I, I don't know if I can do this. And people tend to grab, it, grab on excuses, grab to excuses when things get tough or uncomfortable. And so she said, Jamie, I don't think I can be an entrepreneur because it's taking too much away from my faith. I said, well, you're doing it wrong, girl, because this should just enhance every area of your life, your family, your fitness, your faith. It should enhance all of it. And um, she said, well, I just feel like I'm getting, I'm, I'm spread too thin and I'm just not being able to do enough church stuff. And she's, she's young, she didn't have any kids yet, but she did have a boyfriend that they were about to get married and they were talking about having kids. And I said, well, think about when you have, let's say you're starting to have kids and you have one kid, you have two kids. Would you say, man, these kids, this is a lot of work. I didn't know it was going to be this much work. It's taking too much time away from my faith. I think I'm going to get rid of my kids. Yeah. No, you wouldn't do that. What would you do? You'd have to increase your capacity. You'd have to personally grow. Yes. Right? As a parent. So same thing. You know, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to continue to grow. And, um, and I love that. I, I think that's what we all should be doing, just constantly never-ending personal development. Do you think that personal growth, adding to your bandwidth or your capacity, means decreasing elsewhere? Like, what are the types of things that you subtract from your life in order to increase your capacity? I think increasing your capacity, to me, is more on personal growth. Mm -hmm. So I have to grow in, I have to grow in all, you know, all these different areas of life. But there is also... It's not necessarily the same as capacity, but let's say I just have too much on my plate. Sure. So as a mom, we can feel guilty if we're not in the kids' classroom all the time. Or I've been asked to be like the head of the PTA. No. It's like, a, <laughs> yeah. like automatic. Like me being the head of the PTA is not going to help my kid learn more or be happier or yeah. more social at school. It's not. It's not going to. But um, I have a script for all that stuff. So yeah. <laughs> when they, they asked me, can you be the head of the PTA? I said, oh, you know, that's I'm so honored, you know, yeah, that you would even yeah. ask me. Let me talk to my husband. And then I send him an email saying, oh, you know, thank you so much for, for asking, but he thinks I have too much on my plate right now, <laughs> which is pretty much always true. So, yeah. um, and so I said, but, you know, let me know if there's any volunteer opportunities throughout the school year, you know, be in the classroom, help out. Yeah. And the kids love you to be in the classroom. You don't have to be there as, as a PTA president, though. Sure. And so here's the thing. I've learned to, as, as a mom, as a business owner. I have, you know, 4,000 people that I have to mentor at least on a, you know, monthly basis. And I have my four that I have to nurture as well. You know, so if I'm going to take on a new project, a big new project or a big new goal, I typically will try to see what I can take off my plate if I'm going to add something big onto it. Sure. So to me, that's different than capacity. Like, you know, capacity is personal growth to be able to still get the job done yeah. and get the goals done, even though there's, you know, stuff going on and 
you know, you're having That's another kid. That's a great kid. distinction. Yeah, I, I didn't, I never really thought of it that way. So uh, how the difference between capacity and growth. And speaking of growth, you've mentioned mentors uh, a lot. Uh, obviously, one of them is Ed Milet. Can you talk yes, to me about? I love it. Uh, yeah, like about your relationship and how he's kind of helped you guide through all this and, and yeah. help you get to where you are. Yeah, Ed is. Uh, I mean, I've ha- I've been lucky. I've been so lucky to have amazing mentors. But you know, I think that mo- most of these guys, guys like Ed, they're looking for leaders. They yeah. successful entrepreneur, great guys like Ed, they're looking to raise up the next generation. And so a lot of times it's just looking for them and yeah. asking, you know, asking for the help. And I've seen so many people make the mistake. They'll say, uh, I, I had a thing at my house and one of the guys came up to me. He's like, I didn't, I didn't want to come because I didn't think I deserved it. I'm not big enough yet, or I'm not, I haven't earned it yet. I say, hey, you're supposed to be here. I wouldn't have invited you. Yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to be in this mentoring session. Um, but a lot of people think that way. They think, you know, when I'm, when I'm bigger or when I'm more successful, then I have earned his time. Then I can reach out when I'm on his level. No. See, these, these big leaders, like an Ed Milet, it's like he has, there's leverage there. It's like he has a giant crane to pull you up, right? There's, there's power in proximity. There's power in, you know, this association. So I've had great guys, uh, you know, others besides Ed. But um, when I was new, I had a, a guy that was a great guy. He's an executive producer of the movie Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill Foundation. Asked him to make the movie of the book, the great wow. book. And so he was a guy who coached me in the beginning. And he made everything look easy. So I thought, oh, man, I can do this. <laughs> you know? um, and, then, um, and then I had guys like Ed Milet and others. And, you know, Ed was far. He was a few hours away at least. And he would have this Monday morning, he called it his full-timers meeting. And he'd have it like once a, a month. And I would get up at, I don't even know what time, it was still dark outside. And I would drive down there and I would sneak into that meeting. And Ed will tell you, like, I'm sitting there, like fighting people for the front row, like at the edge of my seat, taking notes, like taking notes on everything he said, but then also how he said it. And like, wow. I was not a speaker, like, like Ed is a very, you know, he's a great public speaker, but I'd watch like when he'd walk into the audience or how he would you know, use his hands and stuff. And I just take notes of everything. And then I would come back and try to give that meeting to my, my little, my little agency. But I remember one time, you know, being at Ed's house and I was newer in the business and, um, you know, looking at his beautiful dream home. And this is, this is years ago. So he was, he was probably just hitting his like first million income. But to me, that was a, it was a big deal. And so we were sitting in the living room and I remember like everyone kind of just chatting and talking and I'm literally sitting at his feet with my notebook, just waiting for anything to come out of his mouth, you know? And, uh, and he gave a great meeting and, and lesson. And then afterwards we went to this restaurant and they were watching some MMA or boxing or something. And they were eating, and I was outside in the cold, pacing back and forth, calling every single one of my guys in my company, saying, I don't know what time this thing's going to be done, but we're meeting. I don't care if it's 1 o'clock in the morning. We're having an emergency meeting tonight. We're going to implement everything that this guy just said. So to me, um, it's first of all, there's mentors out there. You know, you just have to find someone who is on your path, just further down your path, who's, who, who is where you want to be. And I like them to have values, not just in their successful in business, but they also are where I would like to be in other areas, like hundred percent, yeah. you know, family and those things. Um, that would be ideal. But then you have to reach out, you have to answer your questions, and then the secret of like guys like Ed or these great mentors is when they do give you the advice, implement like at the speed of instruction, and because they do want to help, but they don't want to waste their time. Either. Sure. You know what I mean? If they know you're going to be coachable, they'll keep giving it to you. 
I think there's something to be said about when guys like him or, you know, other people that I know and I've implemented something, that's a victory for them, right? Like they're used to people not doing it, right? Like taking great notes, sending them a DM saying that was amazing and not doing anything. But uh, when I asked uh, what a gentleman I was interviewing earlier today, I said, what can I possibly do for you? You know, like, what can I say for your, your business or the program to help? He's like, you already are. He's like, you're succeeding. You're implementing some of the things. And I didn't even like put that together. <laughs> you know awesome. what I mean? But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's amazing. I think you're right. If you want that information and you're willing to get up before the sun's up yeah. uh, to, to get it and then implement it, then of course yeah. you're going to win. Yeah. I remember this. there's this other guy. He's, he's a great guy too. That was a big influence on my business. And he's, he's almost a billionaire now, but I don't know how I even got his phone number or con someone <laughs> giving you his phone number, but I called him up and I said, Hey, I heard you're doing a meeting in San Diego again with traffic three hours away. Right. Yeah. And I said, can I, can I pick you up from the airport? My husband and I will pick you up from the airport and I'll drive you to the venue. He's like, all right, no one else has asked yet. Sure. <laughs> so we pick him up, like literally drive three hours to pick him up from the airport to take him 15 minutes to the hotel, yes. set outside, wait for him to be done and take him back. And that little 15 minute drive on the way back, like literally changed my life, my thinking, my vision of what was possible. Just that association, you know what I mean? It's associations, they're, 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 you know, I'm not gonna, my low little 100,000 income at that time was not gonna bring him down. <laughs> he was gonna pull me up. And I, actually I wasn't even making 100,000 at that time. And I was living in a 600 square foot apartment, 60 grand in debt. And two months later I was making a quarter million Jeez. and out of debt. <laughs> so that was worth that uh, 15 minutes driving all the way down there. Um, I feel like we could talk forever. Unfortunately, we're, we'll have to wrap, but you do, you are working on a book and it was supposed to come out soon, but yeah. tell me uh, a little bit about what's going on. So um, Happy and Strong is my book. So again, I've been, I've been mentoring and coaching and as an entrepreneur, I've been working with Ed for 22 years and, and uh, in the financial industry and I love it. And we've had a lot of success doing that. But I feel like the last like five years or so, what I've really been passionate about is helping coach the entrepreneurs to be successful in business. And especially like those couples, women, just entrepreneurs that are like striving to figure out how do you do this, James? How do you do it all? It's like the number number one question I get. How do you, you know, be a mom and do all this philanthropy work that you do and you know, the stuff in Uganda, the charities, and how do you do it all? And so I find that a lot of them are very frustrated or their spouse is very frustrated of how long it's taking to get this thing off the ground and, and, or they're not spending enough time with their kids. And so I was meeting with, actually was with Ed not too long ago at his home. And he said, Jamie, I want you to, I think, to think about doing this. And we, I created the happy and strong movement. Meaning my idea of success is that, you know, yes, you achieve your wildest dreams and you have the money and your travel and the dream life. But when you get there, you're happy, you're strong that I've seen so many, again, entrepreneurs that during COVID lost their business. They're in the tank. During 2008, or, uh, 2008 boom, like they were wiped out. And so because they weren't uh, financially, they didn't have that strong foundation and fundamentals. And so, so I started doing the Happy and Strong workshops, which was teaching them, well, how do you have it all? How do you, uh, you know, have your faith, your fitness, your finance, family? How do you balance it all? How do you teach them all the structure of it all and how to, you know, to get the family stuff in, people always look at me like, well, you're, you know, you're, you're so involved, like you said, with your family and, yeah. and as a mom. and It's great to see. Yeah. So I did the Happy and Strong. And then 
a few people had asked me to write books. I'm like, no, I'm focused on my business. I don't want any distractions. <laughs> and so I just didn't want to. But then it just started nagging at kind of at my heart, like that I needed to do this and kind of just the spirit telling me like, you got to do this. And so um, during COVID, had a little bit more time and my mom was in town and she could kind of help yeah. a little bit more with the kids. And so um, we wrote that, we wrote the book and it was going to come out this fall, but I'm doing some things with John Maxwell right now. Amazing. I love John. I love John. He's just, he's like the goat, you know? And, yeah. um, and so we are going to do some things. He's endorsing the book and we're going to do some stuff. So it's launching this spring. Amazing. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, and it's, it really is a lot of how to mm-hmm. of, you know, balance. Yeah. And I know there, like you said, there's no real balance. There's going to be times where something's going on in your family and you're going to be tipped this way. And then other times you're going for a big goal and you're tipped that way. But there is, instead of balance, you're striving for happy, that you're fulfilled. You know, I think so many people are like busy and busy to them is chaos and stress and anxiety. I think that there's a difference of busy and fulfilled and loving your life. Yes, I, I completely agree. We will wrap, but where can people find you uh, online? And uh, yeah, we'll end there. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think the best place right now is on Instagram. Yeah. And um, I'm constantly posting tips for women, for entrepreneurs of uh, how to balance, how to, how yeah. to do all these different things, how to grow your and scale your business. Um, so I think um, it's at jamie.villalobos. Uh, at jamie.villalobos. Um, also on YouTube. Yeah. There's some stuff on YouTube that yes, they can find. Yes, you have find. some really good interviews. Um, yeah, and then uh, from there, the Happy and Strong website will be coming with the with the information more about the book and some Excellent. teaser stuff there. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know I already know the audience got value. So if you did, make sure you send uh, Jamie a DM, follow her, and just be on the lookout for the book. Thanks Sounds again. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, everyone. If you're not inspired by Jamie or her story, then it's probably time to stop listening. Because that's the type of person I'm going to have on my podcast, always. Okay? I'm a huge, huge fan. And I'm very, very, very excited for the delay in her book because of who she's doing it with now. So uh, that is something we'll be on the lookout for. But look, uh, get in touch with her. Follow her on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, if you're listening to the podcast, if you are enjoying the podcast, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at richcardona underscore. If you're not following me, then follow me as well. I want to know who you are. I want to talk to you. You can always email info at richcardonamedia.com if you want to set up time to chat. I would love to get to know my listeners a lot better. Uh, That's something I'm going to be feverishly working on. And then lastly, leave a review. Leave a review. If you've invested this much time in me, another 60 seconds is not going to matter. If you've enjoyed it thoroughly, then a five-star review would be awesome. And then you could just leave a few sentences that has some substance that's going to encourage other people that they probably should continue listening to the show if they're a first-timer. I want to thank you deeply, deeply for being one of the biggest drivers in continuing this podcast and getting the people that I'm able to get. And that driver is to serve. I came from a life of service after 17 years in the Marine Corps, and it is my desire to continue to do so by helping you and interviewing industry experts and influencers. And that's what I'm going to keep doing as long as humanly possible. See you next time.